Hello, and welcome to episode 72 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. Today, I thought I'd just talk to you about the random and scattered things that I've been thinking about in the bee yard lately. It is late summer here in the mountains of Western North Carolina. We finally are getting some dry weather in my particular county. And actually, my particular valley has been gifted with the wettest August on record so far. We've had a few days of sunshine now. I cannot tell you what it's like to be glad to dry out a bit. At my particular elevation, at 3,000 feet, it has been a terrible honey year because the late hard freeze on Mother's Day that wiped out the blooms. And I had wondered at that time if it would wipe out the sourwood bloom. We don't have a ton of sourwood, but we we do get some. Unfortunately, it seems like it did. Or maybe the torrential rains (laughs) all summer or some combination of, of all that. The woods are so lush, it is just like a jungle. Unfortunately, there's not a ton of stuff out there for the bees. And I'm really seeing that robbing pressure is strong. And if there is one thing I truly don't like about bees, it is the robbing. Now, I understand that's a survival mechanism, but man, if you have nukes in your yard, it is really a trial. For years, I never had trouble with small nukes in the same yard as full-size hives. I don't know. I guess I just got lucky. That's that's one of those things, you know, in beekeeping, you can go for years and something work for you and it, you think it's because you think it's normal <laughs> and that maybe everybody else is just somehow doing it wrong. No, I'm just kidding. But that something like that, because I just never thought about it. I mean, I'd read about it, how much trouble it is to have small hives. Most queen rears, for sure, have their mating yards well apart from production hives. And I had just never had trouble. But a few years ago, I started having trouble with it. And and maybe, maybe it started with a decrease in the nectar. I'm just not sure. I have become a huge fan of robbing screens. For the patrons over at Patreon, I believe I did a little video. And if I didn't, it's still in my phone and I will post it. (laughs) I'll look as soon as I finish this today of uh, the simplest robbing screen that I think is possible to make out of hardware cloth, the bee hardware cloth that bees can't get through. And it is simply like a, a Z fold or a W fold in a strip of hardware cloth, put it on so that the entrance to your hive, and I'm really talking about nuke entrances here, which are small, but the the very small entrance is in the middle of this kind of tube you create with hardware cloth. The robber bees, which of course orient to what they're trying to rob by smell, they tend to stick around the, the center outside that screen over where the door is, which is where all that good smell tends to be coming out. And then the house bees, who have gotten used to this screen, know to go, to the, to go all the way down the tube out the edge. It has worked beautifully. I had the first failure of one of those this year for the first time, (laughs) which seems right for 2020. I had a nice-sized nuke. I'm pretty shocked. A nice-sized nuke that was queen right and had one of these robber screens on it uh, to get robbed out. And I'm... I I still don't have any explanation of why they picked that one, why they figured out how to get in it. I don't know. Maybe it was not completely thumbtacked to the box, but that was sort of a shock. And, you know, right to the left and right of it are are other nukes with the same robber screen who have been fine. In fact, the, the, the nuke to the right and the left are much tinier than this nuke. So that was a real puzzle. But in beekeeping, there's a puzzle virtually every day, if not every season for sure. 
So there's a terrible lack of honey in my particular neighborhood. I feel very lucky that I have a stash of honey frames still in the freezer. <laughs> this is a long, it's, this is not some virtue on my part. This is just boxes that I forgot to extract. Then I'd already cleaned up the extractor and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is from last year. I just can't deal with this. And so I just basically hid them in the deep freeze, <laughs> hid them both from insects and from anybody saying, hey, why didn't you extract that honey? We've run out. <laughs> so anyway, I stuck them in the deep freeze. And I've just, you know, every time I get down to that level in the deep freeze, I'm like, oh no, there's those boxes of honey. And after time in the freezer, it does change the flavor. I, I can taste it if honey has been in, in the freezer, you know, unsealed. I didn't want to use it for uh, human honey, and but it's perfect bee honey. So now that's turning out to be useful. And there are quite a few small hives that will need that supplement to get them through the winter. The larger hives, I am just leaving honey on, uh, which is really hurting honey sales this year. In fact, I'm pretty much, they're not going to be honey sales this year. I'm, it's just going to be immediate family who are already, you know, writing me, expressing concern because they've heard me say, all summer that it was not a good honey year. I'll have enough for at least our household and for my 94-year-old mother-in-law who keeps close tabs on when her next shipment is arriving. Late summer, the bees become no fun on one level. I'm always happy to see the bees, but they become pretty pesky. If you have anything sweet, they will come right up to your lips and try to get some. <laughs> Mine haven't been too bad this year. I made the mistake one time when I lived in a rental house that having four or five pretty nice size hives about 15 foot from the back door, which was a kitchen door. And boy, was that a mistake because come fall, they every time you open that kitchen door, they would try to try to come in and, and see what you had going on in there. They would come to the window when you're washing dishes like, hey, what are you making in there? So now I do keep the big hives quite a bit further from the house. And I have little hives everywhere, little nukes. I had one total and complete failure in a goal this year. And that was I really did intend to cut back on the number of hives I have. I'm trying to get realistic that at my age and with my job and that I do have another interest or two. I love to garden and it's been completely abandoned ever since I uh, got so bad into the bees. So I was going to try to just cut back and, you know, be smart about it and have a smaller amount of hives and manage them better and spend more time on the podcast and this type of stuff. But none of that has happened. I have not been very active on the podcast, which I did warn you about at the beginning of the season that once the bees are going, uh, I kind of might fade out on the podcast a little bit, but then the patrons, y'all have been so kind to be so supportive. And I do want to keep something going on here as a thank you uh, to the to the patrons, but they have been, you know, more scattered than they are in the winter. In the winter, I'll be driving you crazy with a podcast, you know, every week or every three days with uh, something I'm reading and missing the bees, but that's not true in the summer. So my goal of cutting back on the bees has been a, a complete failure. I blame this on beautiful queens. I just you know, would come across a queen. My friend Michelle has had some beautiful queens and I was like, oh, I want to try one of those. And then she would tell me she has a new bloodline that uh, someone gave her out of a tree, a bee tree that had been a bee tree for years and years. And I'm like, oh, I, I want to try the daughters off off that one. And, and then I finally ran out of time for doing a grafting run of my own. I have just been doing frame-based queen rearing this year and filling up every bit of equipment and more uh, just with that. And then I would end up with so many beautiful queens that I'm like, wow, okay, well, let me start another hive here because 
this one's really pretty and wow look at this brood pattern so let me check her out so anyway I have hives all over the place and this is a terrible year for that given the honey situation so right now I am doing the the hard task of taking a hard look at everybody and if they're not making the cut then I am discontinuing some queens to put it kindly and combining them usually via newspaper with maybe one of the little nukes that has a gorgeous fabulous looking queen and that's going well. It can be tricky to introduce queens in the late summer, fall, because a flow makes introducing a queen much better. And I'm talking about caged queens here, like, for example, that you've uh, purchased from someone raising queens. And so a flow really helps uh, them with queen acceptance. I have introduced a couple of caged queens recently with, uh, with mixed success. One earlier in the summer that I did an introduction on that, to my knowledge, was picture perfect. I had a small nuke that I had culled a queen. I let them go through raising a cell because I wanted that nuke to have a brood break. I'd culled out the 10-day cells. So at 10 days, they don't have any cells in there they can make a queen from. And so usually, if you cull the cells at that point, and it was a nuke, so it, I don't I don't think I missed one, although that has happened before. But in this case, it was I did it in the daytime so I could see them. Anyway, so this queenless nuke, I introduced a caged queen with a usual candy release. About a week, well, a few days later, I just opened the lid to make sure they had been able to let her out. The queen cage, I hang from a, a wire right on top so I could pull that out. They had released her. So I just, I didn't disturb them. I just closed it up, took the cage out and uh, closed it up. Waited about 10 days later, went in to check to see my new beautiful queen and how she was laying. And they had obviously killed her. <laughs> there was not an egg to be found. There was nothing. Now, luckily, they hadn't gone crazy and gone laying worker on me. But I was completely, I've never seen that before in a small queenless nuke that they would off um, a mated queen. But it happens. I know one of my listeners wrote and told me that they had had some really not good queen acceptance from caged queens from an apiary in North Carolina. And I read the description of how he introduced the queens. It sounded picture perfect to me. Nonetheless, his bees did not take to those queens and killed quite a few of them. He was not happy at all. And that does happen sometimes. And then other times I've had an entire year where none of my bees kill a caged queen that I'm trying out from someone's lines. On the other hand, I did something that I've never done before in introducing a queen. I had, uh, this was before I realized that the nukes were under gentle attack at that time. Before I had put robbing screens on some of the nukes I've raised, I saw what looked like robbing, opened one up. They had already robbed it out. There was just not even a handful of nurse bees still in, but there was the queen. And she had been a laying queen. I mean, that was just pitiful. That was, I mean, it was only three frames. It was in a queen castle. But she is a beautiful queen, and I felt I felt bad for her. I was so mad at the robbers. But I had another queenless nuke that I had sold the queen out of, and I thought, well, okay, there's nothing to lose here. So I went to them, culled out the queen cells that they had started once I removed the laying queen, culled out those cells. I waited just like a couple hours and I put a frame, it had open brood on it, pretty much no covering bees because they had been knocked, been knocked out in the robbing thing. Um, I put the frame with, no kidding, like 12 nurse bees and a beautiful queen into the little nuke that had only been queenless a couple of hours and thought, well, you know, nothing to lose here. Let's see what happens. 
I went back in about five days. They had adopted her. She was laying like crazy. They were happy with her. And I say that they were happy with her. I mean, the the little nuke was just bustling along and raising brood and busily going about their jobs. So to me, that that looks like a happy bee. So anyway, you win some and you lose some on the on the queen introduction. It's just like I've heard people say that they've had zero luck with introducing virgin queens. And then other people say, gosh, I use it. It works fine for me. So it's just so individual. You cannot judge yourself on what other beekeepers do. I mean, the main, the proof really is in the pudding of you pulling it off, whatever it is you're trying to do. Whatever it is you've just done, you know, 10 people will tell you later it can't be done. Or 10 people tell you this is how you do it and you do it and it doesn't work out for you. But that that's just all a part of the art of this beekeeping. Speaking of the art of beekeeping, and I told you this was just going to be a ramble into thought. I've been watching some YouTubes while I wash dishes. Bob Binney of the Blue Ridge Honey Company. Now he's in Georgia. So he is a large commercial beekeeper and his company, I believe, has a bee store, an equipment store down there, and they are a honey packer. So let me clarify that. Um, A honey packer buys honey from lots of sources and packs it and sells it. So that means that the, the jars that say Blue Ridge Honey Company doesn't necessarily come from the Blue Ridge. And that is a pet peeve of mine if the company makes it very difficult to discern. But if it says, you know, packed by this company, that's really code for we didn't grow this honey, but we packed it in this jar. <laughs> so, hey, that's um, that's a business and that's a company. And I guess it is a buyer beware in the local honey market, as you all know. But anyway, Bob Benny seems like the nicest guy from his YouTubes. And he is very generous of sharing his bee information, which is fascinating because he shares it from the perspective of many hundred hives, yet he shares techniques that work great on the backyard level. He also shares some interesting techniques that are typically only seen on the backyard level, for example, using a double screen board, and he uses on a commercial level. His videos on YouTube, I believe it's Bob Binney, B-I-N-N-I-E, Blue Ridge Honey Company, they're pretty interesting. He gives talks to a lot of local clubs. I think he might have come and talked to our local club, but I I believe I was absent for that one. But I'm just a a big fan of his now in sharing the information. He's very honest. Like uh, one of his videos is on a catastrophe they had in a warehouse when some honey had too high of a moisture content and I guess fermented and like busted out of its drums, which I cannot imagine a worse cleanup than 55 gallon drums of honey busting in a warehouse. He's he's very honest about the ups and downs. I've been really enjoying it and I've learned quite a few things from uh, from listening to him while washing dishes. So anyway, here in the robbing season, what I'm looking out for is making sure my little hives are protected. There have been several nukes that I was just there. I'm so fond of the queens and I was worried that they might get attacked by the big bubbas that live here on the farm uh, that I did move them over to a yard that there don't seem to be many bees around. And and some may wonder, you know, why don't you have your mating nukes over at that other yard where there aren't bees around. So I had traded some nukes with a friend in the bee club this year, two of them. And he wrote me back later in the season and said, you know, it's really fascinating. One of these nukes has just absolutely knocked it out of the park. I mean, just huge, putting up honey, giant, huge, thriving. The other nuke 
Nothing appeared to be wrong with it. Everybody looked healthy. I recommended that he he check the mites, but to my knowledge, there wasn't a mite problem going on. But I had tag numbers on the hives when he bought them, and so he sent me photos of the hives. And I was able to look back at those queen tag numbers, those little livestock ear tags that now I connect to each queen that I'm testing out. So just to be clear, the ear tag, thumbtack to the hive, it travels wherever that queen travels. And then the hive stand is not associated with the ear tag. So it creates this thing where each hive stand in the main yard has a name. At my out yards, they just kind of have numbers. But in the main yard, they have a name. And then each queen has a tag that follows her for life. Anyway, I was able to look back on the tag numbers. And these were from the same queen line of queen. But one of them, the one that was just booming, that queen made it here at my farm, where I've been saturating the areas to the best of my ability with bees. And then the other queen was mate was the same from the same batch of uh, cells, but she was mated at one of my outyards, which is in an area uh, more populated with other people's bees. And so that's not to blame other people's bees, <laughs> but I just have to wonder if that was the difference in uh, the success of those hives. That would be completely anecdotal, except I had two that did the exact same thing. This is a different queen line from the ones I traded to my friend. A totally different queen line, but exact same scenario. I had two cells off the same queen. One I mated here at the farm. Another I mated at a different outyard that's still in the same neighborhood as my other one, but not in the same fly zone. And again, the one mated here at the farm is just a much better hive than the one made it at the outyard. So <laughs> that I had been actually thinking about, you know, moving the mating nukes next year over to the outyard that just doesn't have the big hive pressure that I have here at the farm because of my own hives. But the trouble is, I think the good genetics, or at least the best genetics that I've I've been able to find so far, are in my actual little valley. The valley that I'm in is surrounded by mountains that go up more than 5,000 feet. So even though it's not completely cut off from the rest of the bee world, it is more isolated than, say, my other outyards, which are in the, the larger valley. So that's been kind of interesting. The reasons I don't, <laughs> the reason I don't have the big bubba hives at the other, at the outyards is this is often where I get some of the best tasting to me to the best tasting honey and the honey that has has won in honey competitions multiple times so I'm really torn I love the queens here and I love the honey from here at home but it it makes for a challenging combination now I will say in typically on in a typical year I don't have any problems with robbing until late summer and usually by then, um, I can have all the queens that I'm going to mate here mated, and I can have them well protected behind their little robber screens, and usually there's, I haven't in the past had trouble. And in fact, this one that they got through my robber screen, that was a, a first time. So anyway, I got to look at all that. Might have to get a super duper robber screen um, for for some hives if my bees are getting so smart that they're figuring out my robber screen. I hope not. I hope that was a fluke. But in closing, I've just rambled on. See, I, I was so worried about, I'm like, what am I going to talk to them about? Because I'm thinking about 20 different things, but I haven't really thought through any one of them. And how am I going to talk to my listeners? But I'll just get on here and ramble. And if rambling drives you crazy, well, you've probably stopped listening to this podcast already. But I appreciate those of you who don't mind it. 
In fact, somehow I wish some of you would just do a podcast where you just get on and ramble about your bees. I mean, to me, there's there's just not enough of that. I love it when uh, Kevin England on the Beekeeper's Corner just rambles about what he's seen or what he's working on. That's really fun to me. I look forward to to each of his. The interviews are great fun for me. I get to pick the brain of beekeepers, and I hope they're enjoyable to you. I love listening to other interviews and podcasts, but just hearing a beekeeper ramble is uh, something I wish there were more podcasts of people doing. Speaking of interviews, I've got some exciting people coming up for you in the upcoming months. They've got to get finished with their bee season, so they'll have time to even get on the phone with me. So in closing, I want to leave you with one little Perhaps this is a tip or just something to, to think about, particularly beginners. Um, what If you are having to start feeding now, and this will depend on your area, of course, feeding is that double-edged sword because it can, it can really start the robbing. So you have to be careful, very careful with it. Do some type of in-hive feeding. But I want to clarify the two different types of feeding, in my opinion. One is the feeding that you do to get them bulked up for fall and winter. That is the kind you do with syrup mixed two to one, sugar two parts to water one part. That is as close, pretty much as close to honey as you can get sugar water should you need to add weight to them. Hopefully you've had a great year and you didn't take off too much honey and they're going to overwinter on their own honey. That's the best case scenario. But if that's not happening or if it's iffy, it really is worth, in my opinion, feeding them so that they can get through the winter alive. That is the holy grail of winter with the bees. But anyway, so heavy syrup, as you'll hear it called, two part sugar to one part water, is for bulking up the hive for winter. Basically, you're not putting much water in there because you want them to not have to work so hard to dry it down to, you know, sugar honey and cap it. You want them to have enough time to cap it because if it's uncapped going into winter, that creates moisture problems. It could create fermentation problems, but not as likely. I mean, usually not as likely. But the other kind of feeding is what you might do in the spring if they came out with not enough, or you might do if they need some some building up. Maybe there's just a ton of rain and they're not getting nectar, is one-to-one syrup. And that's one part water to one part sugar. The great thing about that is you can just mix it with tap water and it'll it'll mix down, unlike two-to-one when the water has to be uh, much warmer to mix. Anyway, I wanted to say, I have found that there's, for me, with these little tiny nukes that I'm building up into hives that can overwinter, hopefully out in the yard. If they're too tiny, they might go in the, uh, in the shed. The one-to-one syrup is what mimics a flow to the degree that artificial feeding can. It mimics a flow, so the queen keeps laying. On the other hand, that two-to-one syrup, if the light is going down, if the natural cycle of the hive is to be kind of winding down, not laying as much, then if you feed two-to-one syrup, there you are feeding, but if all those other environmental cues are going on for them to start reducing the size of the hive... If you are raising nukes, this can cause you trouble because you need that nuke to still be building. You're kind of going against the flow a little bit here. It's not really not against the flow, but you're you're doing things a little out of season. We're not quite to greenhouse tomatoes yet, but you're trying to build up. Pardon me. Well, uh, I just Merkel. <laughs> uh, you're trying to build up that hive to be winter size, whatever that means to you. And to do that... I found they build up much better on one-to-one. Now, that's more work for me and more work for them 
if, if, if in terms of storage, but I'm not giving them this one-to-one for storage. I'm giving this one-to-one to kind of keep that feeling in the hive that there's a nectar flow going on so we can keep raising brood because I've got these tiny nukes that I want to still be building all the way up until it gets too chilly for them to do. Now, this is no problem because, you know, I have that stash of capped honey. So I can add capped honey. I can add weight to them later. Or if I didn't have capped honey, I could use any of the the winter feeding methods like fondant or even the winter patties or some other type thing that's not liquid. Anyway, I have noticed a big difference. Once I have started really paying attention to that my that my little nukes and little hives that I want to keep building, I keep them on one-to-one as long as I can, and then I might add weight to them for the winter in another way. But my big hives, maybe that I'm just a little concerned that they, they're not having enough honey to get through winter, if they're not at the weight that they should be, and I want to add a little weight, then that's when I use two-to-one. I feel very lucky in that I hardly ever, I really make a point to try not to need two to one. I really try to reserve enough honey on the hives um, to get them through winter because I do believe they do better on their own natural honey, in my opinion, in my climate. I also do robin hooding. That was uh, a beekeeper around here taught me that phrase too. Uh, Robin hood means you take the capped honey frames out of a hive that doesn't need it and put the capped honey frames on hives that do. So between robin hooding and leaving them their own honey, I don't thankfully have to deal with the two to one syrup too much. But I just wanted to give you that tip. If you have, if for whatever reason you have a little nuke, now I'm not talking about a sick hive, a little sick hive, that's a whole different ball game. But I'm talking about a little young fresh nuke that maybe was just late or perhaps a a late swarm or something that you still need to build, then consider that one-to-one syrup versus the two-to-one syrup, which is more for storage. Okay, I'll leave that here. I probably went into way much too way too much depth on that because um, a lot of people already know that. And then for beginners, are like, I don't know what she's talking about. I've just got two hives. <laughs> but anyway, I appreciate all your patience, all of you, for for my rambles, and it is just a joy to make these podcasts for you. So I'm gonna try my best to keep it up and and keep on keep on at least a twice a month schedule. And of course, the patrons over at Patreon, they get a bonus podcast every month. I've got one picked out for you guys. All right. Have a wonderful day. I hope your bees are doing well in late summer. Keep on learning. Keep on trying. And I'll talk to you later.